You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Heart Matters, where leading cardiology experts explore the latest trends, technologies, and clinical developments in cardiology practice. Your host for Heart Matters is Dr. Janet Wright, Senior Vice President for Science and Quality for the American College of Cardiology. Stem cell therapies are moving closer to the clinic as more and more trials demonstrate promising results. One such trial is investigating whether we can reverse the damage done to cardiac tissue after a heart attack using a patient's own heart stem cells. What is an autologous stem cell transplant and how successful is it proving to be? Our guest today is Dr. Eduardo Marban, director of the Cedar sinai Heart Institute in Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Dr. Marban. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I'd like for you first to describe what is meant by an autologous cardiac stem cell transplant. The autologous part means that the cells that are used for the therapy come from the patient's own tissue, so they're a perfect genetic match. They're not from another human being, which would be called an allogeneic or universal donor transplant. So these are autologous. They're derived from the patient's own tissue. What makes them cardiac stem cells is that the particular cells that we're harvesting and reinfusing into patients are innate endogenous stem cells within the heart itself that are predestined to repair the normal wear and tear of daily life and that we are capable of regenerating the heart after injury. And these little rascals were not known to exist very long ago, correct? We, we thought stem cells grew in the bone marrow, but uh, we didn't know that there were stem cells in the heart. Yeah, no, it, until about just six or seven years ago, we were taught and believed that the heart is a static, terminally differentiated organ, that the heart cells that we have as adults are the same ones we were born with, only bigger, and that if disease takes away some of those heart cells and converts them into scar that all we could do to improve the situation would be to reverse secondary maladaptive pathways, such as by blocking the renin-angiotensin axis or beta blockers, but we couldn't actually regrow heart muscle per se. About six or seven years ago, we began to realize that the heart does have an innate regenerative capacity. It's modest. It may be only one out of 40,000 or one out of 100,000 cells in the heart is a heart stem cell, but they suffice to repair the normal wear and tear of daily life. The level of turnover in the adult human heart is low. It's only about 1% of the heart cells that turn over every year. But do the math, and you'll realize that without that 1% replacement, we would sooner or later run out of working heart muscle over our lifetimes. So the idea is to take these vanishingly rare cells grow them up and concentrate them and put them into areas of injury where hopefully they can iatrogenically repair the tissue much the same way as endogenously they repair normal wear and tear. I believe there is evidence that if you take a stem cell and put it into an environment of injury, is there a risk of injuring the stem cell? Stem cells are by their very nature quite resilient. And so we find that instead of being greeted with an inhospitable environment and suffering injury, that they tend to take that as a wake-up call to differentiate and proliferate and do their thing. Now, in the extreme, of course, if you put a stem cell into the center of a dense scar where there's absolutely no blood flow or tissue oxygenation, 
it won't be capable of surviving. But they do tend to thrive in the border zones of injury, let's say in the border zone around a heart attack, which is exactly where we would want them to take root and flourish because that's where they can do their work and nibble away at the scar that's uh, adjacent to it. Right. Now, my understanding is that you developed a technique for harvesting or capturing these magical cells. Talk to us about that technique, and, and how did you arrive at it? Well, we recognized that if this was ever going to be a practical method, that we would need an easy method to harvest the cells and grow them up to large numbers. So we reasoned that the heart is a difficult tissue to harvest. The only way that we could imagine actually taking a little bit of heart tissue and doing it in a fairly innocuous manner would be by a percutaneous catheter-based procedure. Uh, And it occurred to us that, in fact, that's been done now for about 30 years in a procedure known as a percutaneous endomyocardial biopsy. Patients who have had a heart transplant are routinely monitored for rejection using this kind of device. And what's done is under local anesthesia, a catheter is placed in the jugular vein and advanced uh, under fluoroscopy. And in a 15-minute outpatient procedure, we can harvest enough tissue to grow up tens of millions of stem cells within a matter of weeks. Our central innovation was the development of methods to harvest and grow large numbers of cardiac stem cells from these minimally invasive heart biopsies. And another innovation that you took advantage of is the improvements in imaging that have occurred more recently? Well, the improvements in imaging have allowed us to be more trenchant and to use more sensitive tools in deciphering just how effective these therapies might be. So one of the things that we've done is to use magnetic resonance imaging to rigorously measure the size of a heart attack relative to the normal myocardium. So using gadolinium retention MRI, we can actually visualize exactly how much scar there is in a patient's heart before and after therapy. So we can say, gee, in Mr. Smith, the percentage of scar in the heart went from 23% to 16%, and his function went from 35% to 42%. And that kind of precision is necessary if we're going to ever establish that something works because uh, stem cell therapy is bedeviled by the possibility that a patient's own heart may recover without any therapy. So we'd like to be very careful about measuring just what our therapeutic effect has been and compare it to that in control patients who have not received any cells and make sure that our therapy bests the nature's own mechanisms. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Janet Wright. Our guest today is Dr. Eduardo Marban, director of the Cedars-Sinai Heart Institute in Los Angeles. We're discussing an autologous cardiac stem cell procedure and whether it can reverse damage done after a heart attack. Dr. Marban, you are leading a clinical trial. Let's start at the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about the first patient that underwent this procedure? Yes, our clinical trial is called Caduceus, and for the Listeners that want more detail, I would refer them to clinicaltrials.org where they can read about inclusion criteria and study design. But in a very simple sense, what we do is identify patients who have had a recent heart attack within the previous month, do a number of qualifying studies, and if they have heart function in the 25 to 45% range of ejection fraction 
and they meet a number of other inclusion and exclusion criteria, we consider them for randomization into either a control arm or the autologous cell therapy arm of the study, which is a phase 1-2 safety study that's NIH-sponsored and FDA-approved. So we started this study in June of 2009. The first subject was Ken Millis, who is a contractor in the San Fernando Valley area of California. Ken had had a big heart attack as a young man, and he was left with a sizable scar burden and a low ejection fraction at the time that he enrolled in the study. Uh, he underwent the procedure, had his own stem cells harvested, and, and then they were reinfused on June 26th of 2009. We saw Ken back in follow-up in December for his six-month study, and he's doing very well. So we hope to have... Ken was the first cell therapy patient for this trial. We now uh, have enrolled a total of 19 patients here at Cedars-Sinai Heart Institute and at our collaborating center at Johns Hopkins. And we hope to have the results of the full trial available and statistics done by the end of the calendar year. Oh, that's very exciting. If it proves successful, when do you think it might be more widely available? Well, that's difficult to predict precisely, but if it follows the traditional path of drug development, we would anticipate doing a larger phase two slash three study, perhaps involving hundreds of patients. The intangible here is, would that be enough to satisfy the regulatory agencies that this would be a product that is sufficiently safe and sufficiently efficacious to warrant product approval without a very large study involving thousands of patients. If we find that the um, 200 or so patient study that might logically follow the one we're doing now would suffice, it's possible that the whole thing could lead to a product by 2013. But there's a lot of intangibles here. There are no commercial cell therapy products uh, right now on the market. There's a lot being studied, but we don't have a really good roadmap as to what it's going to take to produce a product that is going to be acceptable to the FDA. You're currently enrolling patients in this trial who have had a heart attack. As you well know, there are millions of patients who have heart failure, maybe as a result of multiple heart attacks or other etiologies. I know I'm asking you to look way down the road. Do you see application of this technology and technique for patients with CHF? Yes, indeed we do. And the next wave of studies that are already on the drawing board involve patients with advanced heart failure, either ambulatory patients with uh, class 3 or 4 heart failure, the same kinds of patients who might qualify for prophylactic implantable cardioverter defibrillators on the basis of poor LV function. These patients are pretty sick, and their mortality and morbidity remains high despite best current therapy. So we're definitely gearing up for a study there. And in fact, we recently got a grant from the California Institute for Regenerative Medicine to prepare all the work that we would need to do a regulatory filing so that we could begin such a study. And I think we can begin such a study perhaps as early as early 2012 or late 2011 if we're lucky in getting the data we need. We're also pursuing the idea of putting cells into patients who are heart transplant candidates who have received a left ventricular assist device. That is an interesting paradigm simply because the patients are protected hemodynamically. The hearts usually come out at the time of heart transplant, and so if the cells are administered and the heart comes out, we can look directly to see if there's any 
sign of improvement or any risk of, or we can rule out the theoretical risk of tumors. But in the best case, if we had some success in weaning patients off the uh, left ventricular assist device, then it would be a win-win situation for everybody concerned. So we definitely have our eyes on the much larger population of patients with uh, chronic heart failure and particularly those with end-stage heart failure who might stand to benefit the most from experimental therapies. This is giving all patients and the physicians and nurses who take care of these patients tremendous hope. And I think I hear in your voice the very appropriate scientific concern that this is done well, that it's done carefully, and that you're measuring as you go. What do you see, aside from perhaps funding, what do you see as the greatest obstacles to overcome to get to that more broad application of this treatment? The longer that we take in producing a clinical study, the more we know in terms of basic translational work, in terms of what the best strategy might be to produce the cells, what kind of milieu to use to administer them. And so our biggest fear really is that by the time we get to a product that will already have made that product somewhat obsolete because of the inexorable march of scientific knowledge. But you know, we we can't wait to know everything before starting. If, as Ivan Trigonev said, if we wait for everything, for absolutely everything to be ready, we will never start. So we've chosen to start with something that's tangible and that seems to have promise, but we recognize that it's a moving target as we know more and more in this very exciting and very new area of medicine. Well, I might say you've avoided the ethical controversies that have surrounded embryonic stem cell use. I meant to make that point in the beginning. Perhaps you should make that point now for our audience. One advantage of the kinds of stem cells that we're using that come from the patient's own heart is, in fact, that there's no theoretical problems with regard to tumor formation or some of the other issues that have plagued the more primitive cell types, such as embryonic stem cells. Plus, they completely avoid the ethical quandaries that are associated with uh, embryonic stem cells. So yes, that's been an important distinguishing feature of the work that we're doing. We've been talking with Dr. Eduardo Marben about the promise of autologous cardiac stem cell procedures for reversing tissue damage after a heart attack. Dr. Marben, thank you for being our guest today. You're welcome. Take care. You've been listening to Heart Matters on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For more information on this week's show or to download a podcast of this segment, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.